Shabbat day. That's what it says on the sheet. Okay, I'd like to talk about something that I'm usually afraid to talk about, but since it comes up so prominently in the parasha, I'm going to give it a try. And that is the topic of tefillah. I always worried, wondered about uh, what exactly do we think we're doing when we daven. Um, I would imagine that if somebody said that uh, decisions made in heaven are just, they are what they should be. Uh, the words emet, staka, and mishpat, those three words, emet, truth, staka, uh, righteousness, mishpat, justice, those words were the words that uh, the Rabbam used to describe, I mean, it's also in the Pasuk, but uh, the Rabbam used them to describe Avram Avinu. So, if that's the case, that Emet, Mishpat, Daka apply in its purest form, whatever that might mean, to heaven, then what exactly is the role of prayer? I mean, are we saying that there's something wrong with the judgment in heaven? Is it something we're saying that the person who is sick should not be sick? The person who, or the, the people who are oppressed should not be oppressed? I mean, is that what we're saying? Are we saying that uh, we have the right to uh, change whatever is going on, whatever decision came down from heaven, it seemed to me always to be a difficult position in spite of the fact that I know very well that it's all over in Chazal, in the Rishonim, in the idea of uh, who the Baal Shem Tov was, who the Arizal was, the Baal Shem Tov, uh, Rabbanim Chasidim, you know, who, there are a lot of stories about Rabbanim Chasidim who almost were able to bring around, bring about Geula, redemption. They were able to bring redemption. I don't really understand what that means. I, uh, I would have thought that redemption will come when there's a composite effort, when the Jewish people are interested in redemption. I don't quite understand uh, what it means for the for people to argue with God. I don't quite I don't quite get it. And so I think I mentioned that the way I understand the difference between Akedat Yitzchak, Parsha Vayera, and Sdom Va'amora, the Parsha of the Parsha Chayei Sarah. I mean, like, Akedat Yitzchak, Akedat Yitzchak, Avram Avinu accepted God's directive. God said, 
Sacrifice him. I mean, that's, even though it's not literal translation, that's what it means. Give him your son to me as an Ola sacrifice. Totally consumed by fire. And Avram Avinu gets up early in the morning. He gets up early in the morning in order to carry out this directive. He doesn't say, how could I do it? Or what do you mean? Or, or, or me? Or didn't you promise that he would be the father of a nation? That the progeny of Avram will be numberless? Isn't that part of the divine promise to Avram? But Avram didn't, didn't say a word. Avram understood Abraham understood that if God tells you to do something, you can't question the justice of the matter. But it, it must be just, by uh, sort of by definition. I mean, God would not tell you to do something that's unjust. And yet, with Stom and Amora, with Stom and Amora, I mean, certainly bad people and... So Abraham Avinu starts arguing how it could it be if there are 50 tzaddikim or 45 tzaddikim, etc. You all know the story. Right? So I said, so I told you, I think that it has to do with the fact that Abraham Avinu accepted upon himself the job of spreading the word. That's what the Rambam explains. The Ram explains at the beginning of Hilchot Abodazarah that Abraham Avinu, having discovered whatever he discovered about God, was obliged to spread the word, to tell people uh, what happened. That's how he got into trouble with Nimrod. Nimrod, who threw him into the fiery furnace. So uh, his father, Terach, who is not, was not apparently a great guy, told Nimrod that Avram Avinu was spreading the word, was telling everybody that, and also that he broke the idols in the different versions of the story. Uh, he broke the idols, so you can see he's taking a stand against our religious positions, against uh, uh, the idol worship of Ur-Kastim, or Haran, the idol worship of Haran. Uh, so Avram Avinu, according to the Rambam, based on Chazals, but if it's in the Rambam, the Rambam thought it was an important thing to include in his own description of Avram Avinu, that Avram Avinu was, was intent on spreading the word. He was like, we would call him a, uh, like a Balchuva monger. You know, he was mongering people to do tshuva, that was, that was Avram Avinu. So, that, so I understand, I understand. Akedat Yitzchak, Akedat Yitzchak was private between God and Avram Avinu. So Avram Avinu knew that God was just. He may not have understood what exactly the nature of the justice or the right or the truth was, but for Avram Avinu it was, it was okay because he knew that God said it.
that God did it. But when it came to Stogba Amora, there was a different question in the air. Avram Avinu said to HaKadosh Baruch if I, if I could just rephrase what it says in the Torah, that Avram Avinu said, Avram Avinu said to HaKadosh Baruch what if they ask me, you killed them all? You killed every one of them? Well, maybe there were a few that were a little less deserving of that punishment. So Avram Avinu turns to God and says to God, what do I say? How do I present the case? Which is not, it's not that Avram Avinu was suspicious of the divine motive. It's just that Avram Avinu didn't know how to present the case. Didn't know how to present the case. So you see, you see that, that from Avram Avinu I could come to the conclusion that there's hardly any point to Davin for a change of reality, right? To daven for a change of reality means you're imputing to God a lack of, of justice, a lack of... Again, I say, I know that there are many serious sources that do just that. They just say that if I would just daven a little more, I could change things. But I, I, I'm talking from this perspective. Talking about this perspective. I mean, if a person, Rahman al-Islam, is sick, I mean, maybe that's the way it should be. If people die, maybe that's the way it should be. Now, it's true that the Rambam says, the Rambam says, that not everybody uh, deserves or gets hashkacha pratit in the same way and on the same level. Right? We assume, we assume that God is in control of things. Yes, that's true. God is in control of things. Begadol, because they say in, in, in Israel. Like, if you, if you look in the, at, the, at the big picture somehow, so God is in control of the big picture. But if you say to me, does everybody have hashkacha pratis? Everybody watched over by God in exactly the same way? The Rambam says no. Rambam says no. Rambam says it's it's inconceivable. He doesn't say that word. I said that. It's inconceivable that Zayed, you know Zayed? Zayed is like a John, a Jack Cohen. Like a, like a name. Zayed is a name of, a, of the average Muslim. The regular Muslim. It's is inconceivable if Zayed steps on a cockroach that that was done because God wanted the cockroach to die. He says, that can't be. And so he comes to the conclusion that what we call Hashkacha Pratit, what we call Hashkacha Pratit, that God watches over individuals, that's only for the people who are deserving of Hashkacha Pratit. But people, those people, have to watch themselves. They have to, like, stop on red and go on green. If they don't stop on red and go on green, they're going to get whacked. Not because of hashkacha pratit, but because of stupidity. There is such a thing in the world as stupidity. That's what the Rambam, that's what the Rambam says. So, like, in this parasha, 
In this parish, the parish of Chayisara, there's a posuk, a famous posuk. And that posuk is on top of the sheet. And it says, Remember the story, Eliezer went to get a shidduch for Yitzchak. And here he's coming back after the long story. He found the right girl and he's, he negotiated what he negotiated and he traded what he traded and he got the girl and she's on a camel, which I guess was, I don't know, the Subaru of the ancient world. I don't think it was the Mercedes. But she's on this camel and, and, and Yitzchak goes out, goes out. That's a, a word that was uh, very much cons- the concern of Parshanim, which we're not going to deal with, but it's a problem by say, where the Torah tells you, he went out. What do I do? They went out. He went to so you have that word lasuach. Lasuach, Rashi says, you see the Rashi? Lasuach, right under the Pasuk. Lashon Tefillah. How does Rashi know that? How does Rashi know that it's Lashon Tefillah? I don't know. I guess when he was in Cheder, he Rashi. He was probably in Cheder, right? No? I mean, when he was a, a little boy, he may have been very talented and very exceptional, but they, his parents probably sent him to Cheder. And in the Cheder, they learned the Pasuk. And the Rebbe said, Sicha Tfilo. That's what the Rebbe said. Because that's what it says in the Gemara. And the Gemara, as you know, there's a machlokas in the Gemara about why we daven three times a day. There's a machlokas of the Gemara about why we drop it three times a day. One opinion is that it goes back to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, that Avram was metakein shacharit, and Yitzchak was metakein mincha, and Yaakov was metakein uh, uh, mara. This, uh, this is an interesting position, although it doesn't seem to be quite right historically, at least not according to the Rambam. The Rambam says that the obligation to daven devolves on Shachrit and Mincha. But Mariv was somehow not obligatory at first and was accepted by the people on their own. It was accepted on people on their own. So that's why, that's why uh, many posts would say that women, women should daven Shachrit and Mincha because that's the basic obligation. But there's no evidence that women accepted Davening Mariv like the men accepted Davening Mariv. Does that make sense? And therefore, therefore the obligatory nature of Davening for women is probably Shachris and Mincha during the week, during the weekdays. Musaf is a different story, right? But Shachris and Mincha during the week, yes, but there's no obligation to have mar, which doesn't mean that they can't have mar, that you can't have mar, you can have mar, but uh, just try to classify it, you know, put it in its proper, its proper place. So Rashi says, lasuach, lasuach means to daven, to daven. But we know that the word lasuach has other meanings as well. That the word lasuach has other meanings. For example, uh, if you look at the dictionary, which today is uh, remarkably easy because Google is also a dictionary. 
So if you look in the dictionary, you'll see the word lasuch means to wander around, that Yitzhak went out and was wandering around until he saw the camels coming with his uh, intended, intended bride to wander around. Lasuch could also mean uh, to bend over, to bend over. And, and in some dictionaries, they don't even mention the notion that it might mean tefillah. But it does mean, in modern Hebrew, it means sicha. Ooh, how would you define sicha? I think sicha needs two people. Right? You can't really, I mean, I guess there are people who can talk to themselves. But most people talk to somebody, right? That's a sicha. They talk to each other. So that word, that word sicha is according to, according to Rashi, according to Rashi tefillah. Why the word sicha is used in the Pasuk to tell us that, Yak, that Yitzchak davened, Rashi doesn't apply himself to that question. But Rashi's grandson, the Rashbam, who wrote what he called a pshat commentary on, on the, the Torah, which is very interesting because after all, Rashi wrote a pshat commentary on the Torah. This Rashi himself says about himself that Anilobati Ela Lipshuto Shel Mikro. I have only done what I did in order to explain the pshat of the Pasuk. That's what I did. Along came the Rashbam his grandson, and he sort of said, well, you did what you said is pshat, but it's not. I want to do pshat. But the, but the son, the grandson, was, um, was very polite about it, and he went to his grandfather, Rashi, and he said to him, look, this is what I want to do, but I want to get your permission to do that. And the rationale that he gave was that Lefi, it says, he said, Lefi hapshatim hamitchadshim bekol yom, which is very interesting. That pshat changes all the time. Whereas drash, as you know, is fixed. Drash is what Chazal said. You know, you, you look at the Medrash, you look at the Medrash, here Rashi, you know the Rashi do the Breshad Rabbah, the Tanchum Abalpeh. He knew every, every word. So medrash, medrash can't be changed. You can't change the medrash. It is, it is the thinking of Chazal. It's there. But pshat is given to innovation, to do rethinking, to do discoveries. That's all pshat. That's all pshat. So the Rashbam said to his grandfather, I want to make a new commentary which will give the noobshat, noobshat, they come up all the time, which became uh, actually a heter, uh, giving permission to anybody at any time, through all the generations, writing a new commentary, new understanding, new ways. I mean, of course, you have to have some connection, some way of explaining it, but Rashi said okay to his grandson, the Rashba. He said, go and do it. This is all recorded recorded in the introduction of the Rashbam to his commentary on the Torah, which appears, strangely enough, 
at the beginning of the parsha of Ayeshev, which we haven't come up. For some reason, that's where it was printed. I'm sure there's a story, but I don't know it. Right, so the Rashbam, Rashbam, Rashi's grandson, printed all of this story that I just told you in his, the introduction to his commentary. And the introduction to his commentary appears in the beginning of Ayeshev, the parsha of Ayeshev. So if you have, if you have time, you should take a look. They are new, you know, you know the art scroll, Mikraot Gidolot? Did you ever see that? <laughs> what? You brought it in two or three weeks ago. Who? You brought it here two or three weeks ago. No, I didn't bring it. I brought the art scroll, Rashi, once. Oh. But I didn't bring the art scroll, Mikraot Gidolot. The art scroll, Mikraot Gidolot, besides having endless we show name commentaries, it's all vocalized. It's not, there's no English. It's the only book that art, I think, the only book art school ever put out that has no English in it. Right? Not Hebrew translated into English, not English commentary, not English footnotes, nothing. It's a regular, it's, it's just text. But the text of the Rashbam and all the other Rishonim that they put in are vocalized. The text is vocalized, which is helpful. What? Not Vayeshev. is a Breshi. Vayeshev is a Breshi. So what does the Rashbam say? He says he's talking about this possible. He's saying it's Chaklosul, but today you have to remember. Rashi said Tefillah. Rashi said Tefillah. So the Rashbam, now here we are after that introduction, after the Rashbam Kirchtiv, we call Sia Chasadeh. We call Sia Chasadeh. There's a connection between what the Pesach says, La Suach, and another Pesach in the Torah, in the beginning of the Torah, Perik Bet, that it says, we call Sia Chasadeh. Kolomar. What does the Kol Siyach HaSadeh mean? Litot Ilanot To plant trees To plant trees V'lerot inyanei po'alav And to look at the results Right? Inyanei V'lerot inyanei po'alav That was what is he doing out of the Sadeh? Right? What is he doing out of the Sadeh? Litot Ilanot. He went out to see what's happening. He's got this business called farming. Oh, he's like a, a cowboy, Yitzchak. And he's checking on his trees and he's checking on, on the other things that they did. And when he was out in the field, and was the Rajbab says, What does that mean? He went out to check. On his uh, on his enterprise, that's what he was doing at the Sadeh. And when he was out there, he picked his head up and he saw that 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 Eliezer and Rivka and Rivka were coming. So that the first uh, the first part of the pasuk of the of the Rashbam is called Siyakinichtim, called Siyakasadeh. That has something to do with the fields. With what's out in the field, that's what la suach basadeh means. So, of course, you could say Rashi said what Rashi said. That's not pshat. 
‫אומרת שזה הצליח לסוח בשדה, ‫זה תפילה, that's not פשט. ‫לא קמס לרשב"ם, ‫ולרשב"ם אומר, ‫אל תראו את פשט הזה. ‫פשט הזה, ‫שהוא היה רק שיקר על הסטאפ, ‫הוא לא עושה משהו ספירטואלי, ‫כמו שאומר בפוסק, ‫כל שיח השדה, ‫אנחנו מדברים על כל הדברים ‫שגרו בשדה. ‫אבל זה בדיוק... Uh, the point, isn't it? Because you look at the next pasuk of the sheet. This is a pasuk that summarizes the creation. Perek Aleph, in the beginning of Perek Bet in Breshit, it talks about, starts talking again about the creation of the world, right? And what does that pasuk say? things that grow out of the ground. Grasses, little branches, trees. Siyach HaSadeh. Terem. Terem means not yet. It just wasn't there yet. We call Esav HaSadeh Terem Yitzvach and the grasses coming out of the, uh, out of the field had not yet grown. Because God did not make rain. It didn't, it had not yet rained. And if it doesn't rain, nothing's going to grow. So there was this potential in the created world. There were grasses and buds and little trees and all kinds of stuff, but nothing was growing because no rain. No rain, nothing, nothing grows. And then there's a non sequitur. Right? The last phrase in the Pasuk doesn't really fit in, at least not obviously. The last phrase in the Pasuk is Adam Ayin, and man was non-existent. To work the land, to, to do whatever it is that he had to do with the land. So this Pasuk has a lot of questions that you could ask, and Rashi asked some of them. So, If you look at the Rashi, the last three lines in the Rashi, Kilohim Tir, you see? Kilohim Tir? The second wide line. The second wide line in the Rashi, in the middle of the line, it says Kilohim Tir. There was no Matar. Matar is rain. Right? Kilohim Tir. So Rashi, yes, and I'll be a, a good question. Matam Lohim Tir. So what do we kilohim tir? So why didn't God make it rain? Why didn't God make it rain? Lefi, I'm reading on. Shadam ayin lavodet adamah. That's the reason that God did not make it rain because there was no, not yet a man. Man had not yet been created who would then work the land. Ve'ein makir b'tovatam shel gishabim. So there's nobody around who understood the goodness of rain, the importance of rain, the need that the world had for rain. Makir b'tovatam shel gishabim. U'kishabaya adam. And then when man was finally created, was finally created. And he understood that the rain was necessary for 
the world. There's an extra letter at the end, the tet. Right? Just forget it. So man understood that his job was prayer. That's what he was supposed to do. Now this is a theory of davening. This is a theory of davening, that davening exists in the world because without davening there wouldn't be a world. How so? In order for it to rain, in order for the water to come down from heaven and to, to do whatever water does to, the, to, to agriculture, man has to request it. Has to say, I know about the rain. Please let it rain. You have to turn to God and say, let it rain. It and then the trees and the grasses will all start growing. Will all start growing. So you say, according to, according to Rashi, according to Rashi, where does prayer come from? Where does prayer come from? Prayer comes from the fact that we are, to some extent, in some way, minor, but to some extent, in partnership with HaKadosh Baruch Hu about the creation of the world. God created the world. There were grasses. There were trees. They were, but they didn't grow. In order for them to grow, there has to be water. In order for the water to come, you have to pray for the, for, for the water. And you know that to this day, to this day, water is one of the few things that we can't arrange. We can't say, okay, I'm going to make it rain tomorrow. I can't do that. Right? The only way to, to have rain is to daven for rain. But here Rashi says more than that. It's not just that we daven to rain in order that it should rain. Rashi says if we don't daven for rain, there's not going to be any rain. Because that's a condition. It's not just we say, look, you know, it's very nice to have rain, so let's daven. But it's rather that Rashi says if we don't daven for rain, there won't be any rain. And we'll be stunting somehow the creation itself. We have that ability. So we could do it in different ways. Stunting creation, we could be very bad. You know, do things at Hamas in the time of, of Noah. So we could stunt creation ultimately. There's no creation because, because, uh, because we're, we're bad people. But we could also stun creation if we don't daven for rain. That's what Rashi, that's what Rashi says. Daven for rain. So according to Rashi, according to Rashi, where does davening come from? Where is, where is, it, it comes from, it's, it's put into the world by a Kaddish Bokhu. It's the way the world was made. So davening becomes absolutely necessary in order that the world should stay on some sort of an even keel. It should be as it should be. Things will grow as they should grow. It's all because we daven. All because we daven. So if I say, according to Rashi, who invented davening? Who invented davening? Kaddish Baruch Hu invented davening. When? Here it is, right in the Pasuk. Adam ayin lavodit adama. And when man came, he understood, he was told, he was given this directive, daven for rain.
But the Rashi says, no, man understood. I keep saying man, but I mean slash woman, right? That'll, don't, don't take me to task on that. Women not adopting usually better than men. Men are always concerned about the rules. And the women have the benefit of being able to daven without thinking about the rules. So that's where davening comes from. That's where davening comes from, and that's what the Rashbam said. The Rashbam says, if you want to know what lasuach basadeh means, check that other pasuk where the lasuach is mentioned. That'll clarify it for you. So the Rashbam actually agrees with, uh, with Rashi that it's tefillah, but the Rashbam thinks you have to understand why Yitzchak was davening. Where does it come from? It comes from the creation itself. It comes from creation itself. There's no way for the world to exist without man davening. And with that introduction, I want to look at something that Rav Nachman said. You see in the last, the last part, there are two paragraphs I, I want to go, I want to look at the last paragraph, if that's all right. The last paragraph. The Rav Nachman had this thing, you know, go out in the field where there's no other people, and there's no noises that, that uh, confuse you, and you, and you can make all the noise you want. So he says, David Palel Sadeh. He's davening out in the field. Sadeh, with Palel, Sadeh. This is Yitzchak, right? Azai Kola Asavim Kulam Ba'im Bitochatvila. So the Kolha Asabim Kulam, all the grasses of the world. Like what are you davening for? You're davening for rain. You're davening that the world should go on. You're davening that the grasses should grow. So since you're davening for the grasses to grow, so the grasses, the grass, join you. They join with you in the davening. This is Rav Nachman's conception. And they help him. They support him. And they strengthen his tefillah. They say, even though man is davening for the grasses, but the grasses are able somehow to strengthen the tefillah and to, to continue it and to enhance it in some way. See that word, sicha? That's modern Hebrew. What is a sicha? A conversation. What's the conversation about? Well, it's about the world. And it's about making it a better place. And it's about making things grow. That's the sicha. That's the conversation that goes on between... What's the nusach? What's the formulation of the tefillah that we're talking about? You have to talk to HaKadosh Baruch You have to say, look, uh, you, you want the world to go on. It has to rain. And I, we know that it has to rain. <coughs> and, and that's what we want. So that's sicha. Bechinat siyach hasadeh. Again, quoting that pasuk in Breshit, Rav Nachman quoting the pasuk in Breshit, she calls siyach hasadeh, notanim koach v'siyuah b'tfilato. All the things that grow, all the grasses, all the trees, they, they enhance, they strengthen, they fortify, fortify tfilato, his prayer. V'zeh bechinat that's what the Pesach means when it says that Yitzchak went out 
in the field that's what it means that, the, that, that when Yitzchak davened all the grasses and all the trees and all the fields they all joined with him in that, in that kind of, of uh, davening fourth line they all helped him. They, they joined with him. So that's called Why Basade? Because he wanted the, the world to join in with his davening. He wanted it to be like a universal kind of tefillah. And that's why the tefillah is called sicha. Now sicha means lasuach basadeh, but it also means conversation. It's a it's a kind of conversation. Valkein beklala neemar radama loti tenetivula. That that the, when when God curses us for doing the wrong thing, the earth will not give its produce. Kikol yevul haaretz. That's why the Pasuk says there won't be any produce because if there's no produce there can't be any tefillah. If everything gets, everything gets truncated, stopped, uh, then you can't, you can't daven. When this is, uh, there's a blemish and there's a uh, something that's preventing it from happening, from growing. When the prayer is not working, so the earth will not give up its its uh, produce. Because even usually, if you're not davening in the Sadeh, but you have Rachmanel Litzlan, you're davening in a shul, or you're davening in a home, or you're davening in a building, still, and there's no grass around, right? You know, you live in your Shalayim, hard to find the little grass. So it doesn't matter. The grasses hear you, and they join with you, according to Rabbi because That's the nature of prayer. You need those grasses to daven with you. The Everything that is close to man, all of these things are helpful to him. They all come from the ground. They all come from the earth, the things that grow in the earth. Rak, it's just that when he's out in the field, so he feels them, he feels the connection, and he feels the sustenance coming out of the, out of the ground, right? Out of the ground, that's, that's where, where it all comes from. I'm sorry. And he says the word Yevula, Rashi Tevot, it's a kind of a, a way of remembering Vayetze Yitzchak Lasuach Basadeh. You'll see that it's, the word Yevul is there. Shekol Yevula Sadeh Hit Palalu Imo Kanal. All the products, all the things that came out of the earth, all the things that keep, that sustain 
the creation, all of they, all of them came out. That's La Suach Basadeh. He went out to Daven. Why did he go to Daven in the Sadeh? Because that's the best place. That's the best place to Daven. So when he Daven, they came out and they said, uh, uh, and uh, and Imo uh, Kanal. So he says, this is what Yitzchak, this is what Yitzchak do. So you have Rashi, Setlit Palel. The Rashbam explained why it must be Lit Palel. And the uh, Rav Nachman explained why you have to do this kind of prayer, Basadeh. And if you don't do it, Basadeh, you'll be able to do it as though you were, you were in the Sadeh. I want to make this one more point. When Avram Avinu argued with the Kodesh Bochu about Sodom Amora, it was a Sicha. It was a conversation. Avram Avinu said, what am I going to say if they come and they ask me about 50, about 50 people? Weren't there 50 people? In so, as our Kodesh Bible says, 50 people, I won't destroy them. 45 people, I won't destroy them, etc. There was this ongoing conversation where it seems that, that, that God is giving in, but actually what's happening is that our Kodesh Bible is clarifying it's clarifying the fact that the destruction of Stomva Amora fits into Avram Avinu's understanding of tzedek and mishpat, of righteousness and justice. And that's the nature of tefillah, as far as I can tell, that, that we would like to understand more about what we see as being difficult realities. That's what we daven. That's what we daven for. Whatever happens, whatever happens in things that are beyond our control, we have to trust that God is doing it in a proper manner. But we would like to understand more about what is going on, what is happening. And that's what tefillah is also about. Because I tried to say at the beginning that I'm going to talk about this aspect of tefillah. The aspect of tefillah, which is in the Pasuk of the Rashi, the Rashbam, Rav Nachman. That's what I, I wanted to say. But it seems to me that Rav Nachman says lasuach has something to do with the word sicha. The word sicha is a conversation. Conversations are, are often held for clarification, right? What did you really mean? What did you really say? How do I understand it? I mean, it's always true that language is misleading, right? The Chazal understood that, that very well. And in order to reduce the misleading nature of language, you have to have a conversation. And that's what tefillah also is. It's a conversation about reality. It's a conversation about reality. So when, when the Shvonesu says, what we mean, what we mean is that we don't understand why it hasn't happened already. It's true, you could say it means, oh, we would love it to be that way, that God returns to Yerushalayim. But what it might mean, as I understand, what it might mean is that uh, why isn't it built already? 
What is it about Geula that is so uh, difficult? Why is it that after the Churban Bayat Rishon, it took 50 years before people started coming back to Eretz Yisrael, and Churban Bayat Bayat Sheni, it's already been over 2,000 years, and, and uh, that the Geula has not uh, imposed itself upon us. Yes, it's true, things have happened, and people live, you know, there's a Jewish uh, uh, presence, a notable presence here in Eretz Israel, but uh, the people of Israel have not been redeemed, whatever that actually means. I think, uh, I think we could agree. We agree that there are some people in, uh, in the United States who have not yet been redeemed. I'm not sure that people who live in Israel have all been redeemed. I would hope so. But in, 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 in any event, I think that there is, it's a credible position to say that tefillah is about clarification. It's about my desire to clarify. And if I express my desire to clarify in tefillah, then I might be able to carry that desire to other venues, to something I learned with a, with a chavruta, something that I hear, a shir that I might hear, or things that people say that, that make an impression, make an impression on them, but I've got to have the desire. It's got to be something I yearn for, something that I'm interested in. So that's what I think. There's an aspect of tefillah which equals sicha, conversation, which has to do with clarification, which is what Avram Avinu was doing in Stone, in Stone and, uh, and Amora. And even Moshe Rabbeinu, this uh, I think we could, oh, it's time. Even Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu who davened for the uh, continued existence of Am Yisrael. Remember God said, let's do away with them after the Chet Egel after the golden calf. God said, we'll do away with them, we'll start over again. You, Moshe Rabbeinu, the father of the nation. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, Lava Yavru, Lava Yavru, If you kill B'nai Israel, as a kind of an argument, then, uh, then the nations of the world are going to say, God wanted to do it, but couldn't do it, couldn't bring them to Eretz, to Eretz Canaan. So, really, it's a, it's a, Moshe Rabbeinu is not arguing with a new argument. What he's saying is, you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you're the one who said that the test is going to be, will they get to Eretz Kedan? And you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, wanted Yitzhak Mitzrayim to be something that everybody would learn from, that all the nations of the world would be able to relate to. So are you going back on that? I mean, that's the clarification that Moshe Rabbeinu was, was, uh, was involved with. He was trying to clarify what, that, that, that if HaKadosh Baruch Hu changed his mind about Am Yisrael, doesn't he also change his mind about the education of the nations of the world, which at that time was, was of great importance. So, uh, so that's it. There you have it. Um, have a good chance.